Hi, sisters fam. Just a quick note that we had a little bit of technical difficulties recording the intro for this episode. So if you're listening to this episode with earphones, my voice will come in the left ear and the technology was just being a little wonky as it does sometimes. And I apologize for this. The audio quality is something that's really important. We're really trying to bring you a quality show, but it's still totally clear and it's totally intelligible and it's something that we're working on. And now, on with the podcast. I'm a drummer, right? And if I'm the only one who knows how to play and I don't teach anybody, then there's, then there's no more drumming, right? So those people who came before taught others for a reason is because they want to be able to express themselves even after they are gone. You're listening to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality. I am okay. I'm at my aunt's house in Bamapan, Belize. I'm en route to Dangriga. You know, my trip is is it's a long one and I've been enjoying myself. I've been on vacation. So I've been eating all the foods and just just eating and being merry, basically. Um <laughs> Yeah. I'm okay. Things are good. But we're here to talk about Josh's episode. He just talks about so many things and drops so many gems and it feels like, and I'm sure you'd agree, that he sounds like an old person in a young person's body, which is definitely a good thing. That's, you know, compliments to Josh. The conversation about Owehani and the levels to that, or potential levels to that, stuck out to me because I've, pre-corona, you know, when we were able to be outside and I would go with you to your performances. I know I've seen um, your journey in that way in the performance space. And so hearing Josh's explanation of how he or where he goes when he performs. He goes to the place where drummers go. Yes, that was... Which I love. I love that line. Chef's kiss, just the perfect phrase for what what he experiences or what he he believes to be his truth and because I've seen your your evolution of performance and now hearing Josh's story it feels like there might be levels to this we might need to do that that research so for international listeners um, Owehani or to Oweha means to be possessed by the spirit. That mm. word has been dropped many times in this podcast, but um, I will not assume that the people tuning into this episode have listened to our other episodes because that's often not the case. Um, mm-hmm. So for people who are listening to this because they know Josh personally or because they're only just hopping on, welcome to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality. I am Ferosa. This is my sister Kylie, and this is what we do. We have this podcast 
where we're interviewing different cultural bearers, different spirituality practitioners, because we want to learn more. Yes. I must say that I think going forward, I'm probably going to say this, that each guest has their experience. They speak their truth. And mm. some of the ideas and concepts that they speak about, we might not necessarily agree with. But this is a platform to share our stories and to learn from each other. I think that will be especially true for our upcoming episode, but we're not there yet. So, so exactly. This, yeah. So, um, you know, Josh Arana I'm sure y'all know him. He is a magnificent drummer. And he talks about going to the place where drummers go. And that's also something that stuck out to me in this conversation. I said what I said in the interview, and I, I don't feel like repeating it at this part of the <laughs> of the podcast episode. Y'all will hear. I have my journey. Fair kind enough. of mentioned it. Uh, eventually, because I got in my soapbox with our in our mom's episode. So, um... You know, I'm a singer. I've had my journey. I'm still on a journey. Running this show and having the conversations that we've been having, I'm realizing that there are deeper levels to go. And I knew this. I knew this. And yet I'm still like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, what? What stuck out? Oh, I didn't let you finish. About the other stuck thing out that stuck you, out, right. it was the, the conversation about Yurame, about St. Vincent. And I didn't know that the Mali that we performed, or that Josh and the other um, participants of the Mali, because we were really just bystanders, just, you know, observing and watching and under the hot sun. And swaying, yes. But... I didn't know that that was the first Mali to be done on Baliso. Because I've been to Baliso, I think that would have been my third or fourth time there. But just to visit and see what it's like and see how barren, nothing can grow there. You know, it's it's very a humbling it's, journey. It's a desert island, y'all. It's our Auschwitz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was that was a learning moment for me. What stood out to me about this conversation is when we talked about being called versus it being a choice. Mm. And I asked him perhaps what might have been a silly question, which was I asked him I asked him a question, something to the effect of if he wasn't called to be a drummer, would he have done it anyway? Because he has this his truth is that anything in his life, if it had taken him away from drumming, he would not have done that thing. In other words, his drum carries him. He is his drum. And, and that is, that is his lifeline, his bloodline. And I, I really love that. And the last conversation, the last episode that we had with our mother, where she talked about being called into this, into this space, being called, being groomed, not realizing that she was being groomed, and then bam, she's given this mission. I've been chewing on this a lot about purpose and calling and choice, especially because there's this ongoing narrative of, oh, the ancestors just want to run your life, and why did they do And And maybe mm-hmm. that, that sentiment, that sentiment is rooted in a very real feeling, and we must honor and acknowledge those emotions and those experiences 
because sometimes the ancestors, if we let them, can run our lives. And that's not supposed to be the case. We'll talk more about that later. But I've been thinking about how, because we talk about this <laughs> in our next episode, where there, pe- there are prophets in the Bible who were called to do great things and they resisted and then they end up doing the thing that they were called to. They go on this sort of hero's journey. And we on planet Earth are no different. However, many thousands years later, since the time of the Bible, we are no different. And so, and I guess I'm also thinking about purpose and calling because I'm a singer, I'm a musician, but I really hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But also this is my existence and I accept it. And I think Ianla Van Zant talks about this in a couple interviews. She talks about how before we came to earth and inhabited the body that we did, we made it, we, we took on a mission and our souls knew what we were getting into coming down in earth. And so being here on earth is just a matter of remembering what we originally came here to do. And so even if we feel like we don't want to do it, even if we feel like, why me? And no, 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 Actually, we always knew, our souls always knew what we were going to do because that's what we came on earth to do. True. And so the war that we have with spirituality and those of us who are in tune with our calling or being called by our calling. Can you be called by our calling? Anyway. I hear you. Am I making sense? I feel like... You're making... Am I back in my soapbox? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, f- I feel like you're making sense to me, but maybe that's just because I'm biased and you're my sister and I can decode, like, I can understand what you mean. Like, we have that that sisterly telepathy. <laughs> I just hope it's translating to our listeners because I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> you were talking about purpose and calling and... I think that when we I think that when we come to earth when if we're following the theory that if we're following the theory that our souls know what our purpose is before we get to earth and before we inhabit our physical bodies then it also stands to reason that when we're here and we enter this material world we can also easily get distracted and swayed by other things by and society. so Exactly. Society, expectations, different things, you know, maybe. But our souls always know what it is that we're meant to do, what we're here for, what we live for. And the thing about the soul, I believe, is that the soul is the truth of who we are. Mm. I am a soul and I have I have this body. (laughs) (laughs) And this is not to say that we are not... We are informed by the experiences of our body, of course, being black, being Mm -hmm. being Latinx, being whatever you identify as because of your physical markers. Of course, our our experiences on Earth are informed by how we look, but also we are our soul. And I think it's just a matter of returning to who we always were while navigating the experience of being in this body on this Earth. Preach it, sister. I'm not trying to preach. I'm just, I've really been <laughs> chewing. I've really been chewing on this conversation with Josh because we talk about so many things. And 
in our last episode, we also talked about so many things. And in the upcoming episode, which I'm just about to finish editing, we talk about a lot of deep, rich things because I am feeling a resistance on the other side. And I'm feeling spirit now. (laughs) But I'm feeling like as a collective, we're all searching and we want to learn more. But I'm also sensing a resistance to to it yeah it being to this collective calling because there are many like there are many Garifuna people that we've met through this podcast right who've reached out mm-hmm. to us who are like yeah like I've been thinking something similar or yeah I'm doing this like women's network and and you know the Garifuna Duchess is doing a book I mean she's just released a book and like different people are doing the same thing essentially in different mm-hmm. uh, parts Forms. of the world. Like I'm in Spain, you're mm-hmm. in Jamaica. and Duchess is in California. Master Tatiana is in New York. And these are just you know different names of different people that we've met, right? Yeah. We didn't know each other, but we've all received a very similar calling to spread our experiences and to learn together. So yeah. Um, so there's that calling to the collective that we're getting individually but it's basically the same calling like to i don't know lift Mm -hmm. our consciousness to return to who we always were and in in response to that calling there are many who are resisting so i am sensing like both the opening of people saying yes and also the people who are like no Mm -hmm. and i just feel very is it the moon? It might be the moon. I am just in a moment right now. Okay. Take a deep breath. Yeah. I'm, I'm here with you. So anyway, <laughs> listen to this beautiful, rich, deep conversation with Joshua Arana from Dangriga. He is a wonderful drummer. He's toured with the Garifuna Collective. He's toured with other Garifuna bands. He works with Niche which is a cultural organization in Belize, doing his part to teach about Garifuna culture, particularly where it comes to drumming. He, was, he did a TED Talk in Belmopan a couple of years ago called Drumming Made Me a Feminist, and the link to that will be in the show notes. It's such a beautiful presentation, y'all. Listen to it. We talk about it in the episode. And yeah. Kai, any, any thoughts? Be sure to like, subscribe, and share our episode and our podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with maybe any drummer friends that you have. Share it with your family. You know, yeah. this is a conversation for the community. You because know, as Josh said, nothing can, nothing can happen without the support of our community. Oof. You know what's cool? A few listeners have told me how um, they listen to it with their family on Sundays when episodes drop and I'm like wow like that's just I look at the numbers the numbers of the people who listen to us because we have access to those statistics but also I'm I'm aware and I and I know this from my music as well you don't know who is in the room how many people Mm -hmm. are in the room when people are listening right it could be 10 people just sitting down at their bible study like let's listen to the Garifuna sisters and talk about what they said (laughs) (laughs) I'm humbled by it yeah. yeah, or somebody saying, who's that? I want to listen to that on my own time. Yeah. You know, you never know yeah. who might be interested. So, Sarah May. You can feel free to leave a comment or DM us on Instagram as well. We'll look through those and we respond. 
Can you tell our global listeners where you are? Sorry. Can you tell our global listeners who you are and where you're from? My name is Joshua Rana. I'm a Garifuna drummer. And often I I always introduce myself as a Garifuna drummer because they are things that I have accomplished or done in my lifetime. But had these things taken me away from playing my drums, I would not have done or accomplished them. So when everybody wants to know who I am, Joshua, Karifna Drummer. Period. I'm inspired. Wow. (laughs) Anything that takes you away from drumming, that's really anything that takes you away from yourself, right? Yeah. You would say no to. Oh, I can cry now. Conversation done. (laughs) Mic drop. End of interview. No. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. Okay. So what was it like growing up Garifuna? Were you always loud and proud Garifuna? I wasn't always loud and proud Garifuna. Um, like, I, like I say when I speak to, to many people, that growing up, um, we, were more, we were more into that, in the, into what we call the, the night culture. And that culture being the American culture of the eighties where everybody was, well, everybody wanted a Nike shoe and a Nike blouse and Nike shirt and all of these things. And um, to be Garifna was not, to be Garifna was not popular. And to be identified with being Garifna was, was not popular. As a matter of fact, when we, when we used to go to school and they asked you, what did you eat for lunch? Everybody's like rice and beans, chicken, salad, and Kool-Aid. Because nobody wanted to say that, that, they had a, that they had a cultural dish for lunch. No? So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't always, um, as you put it, loud and proud. <laughs> so what changed? Um, as time went by, I saw other people who, from my point of view, grew up in a more cultural home than I did. Parents were um, lived the life of a Garif, of, um, lived a Garifna dual life. And these people who I saw um, grew up in this life of Garifna dual. And when I went to high school, I saw these people and like they were two, two totally different persons. And I saw myself as uh, I am being, I am judging these people for 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 what for what I have become, and that mm-hmm. clicked and that clicked something in me to say you know what, it's about time that you that you find your your voice, not your voice of speaking, not not your verbal voice, but your inner voice, your voice of being who it is that you are. Yes, preach. Come on with the gems. <laughs> And we're not even five minutes in. <laughs> Can you explain why wasn't it popular to be Garifuna back in the day, back in the 80s, when you were your teenage years, right? Yeah. Well, well I've heard stories from, from my mom, um, my dad, where um, at one point when they were going to school, couldn't speak Garifuna in class. 
um, they were whipped for speaking Garifuna at school. So if your parents are whipped for speaking Garifuna, you can see that you can see how the the next generation of the the next generation would not want to be um, to be exposed to that type of brutality, and your parents would help to shield you from that from that type of um, of brutality. So it's almost like your your um, Garifuna duo in itself is associated with something that is not good. And as time goes by, generation after generation, and you see it results now in less and less people wanting to speak the Garifuna language. And worse, we, you find less and less people even want to be identified with Garifuna spirituality. Yeah, we know. Yep. And that, and that kind of leads to my next question, which is, I imagine that you're far more in touch with the youths of Garifuna people in Belize. Is there still shame among them? There is somewhat, from my, from my point of view, a level of, level of confusion where, um, from my viewpoint, the, the children don't know where, where, where they stand in terms of um, their cultural identity. And the parents don't know where they stand in terms of their involvement in why the children have lost some of that cultural identity. So we have a lot of young people who want to be involved now, but feel as if they have lost so much, um, especially, especially as it relates to the language, and they don't really know where it, where it, is, where it is that they fit in this whole puzzle. But... Um, from my viewpoint, it didn't just—it didn't start just with with them, with the youth. Now there are a lot of stories that place way back when that result in where we are now. Like what I had mentioned to you earlier. Yeah. Um, if I am whipped for for being Garifuna, I would not want my child to go through that same thing. So I will try to protect him or her from going through that same brutality. And if that means that, um, that I will ensure that you speak the Queen's English, then that's what it is. Right. We had a guest, um, Alicia Ellis. She said that there was a generation, and I guess it still continues, of people who distance themselves from the culture for survival purposes, protecting our children to not feel that pain that we felt not that long ago yeah. do you want to go ahead sorry go ahead <laughs> well i was just going to continue the point that now that we don't need to be we don't need to per se be in that survival mode we've now lost the reasoning of why we initially distanced ourselves there's no need in that way because we're not nobody's going to whip us now right nobody there's no but isn't there Physical. a verbal whipping? Well, like, because it depends. I think it depends on the on your spirit. If if someone looks at you and say, "Oh, you didn't into that. You going to the boy about? Oh, you." Yeah, yeah. For some people, that is enough to not associate. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I don't know. I I think I understand Kylie's question. Um, with the fact that we don't have to, we're not, um, we're not going through 
the level of brutality that we did years ago. But I think where we are at this point is that we're in the we're in the stage of blaming now. Because we because a lot of people don't know don't know of the story. Yeah. So we're in this we're, we're at the stage of blaming where parents are blaming their children for not being interested and children are blaming their parents for not for not wanting to learn. Mm. Right? But I think what, what needs to happen and one of the big lessons that I one of my the one of the takeaways that I got when I went to Yurume is that everybody should tell the Garifuna story. Um, what is that Garifuna story? The Garifuna story is your story. Your story as a Garifuna person should be told. I can remember when I went to school in Belize City and I was talking to one of my Grigalesian sister. Um, and I spoke to her in Garifuna and I was, my teacher at the time told me to quit. And I insisted that I was going to speak to my Garifuna sister in Garifuna. And I was put to sweep the class after school, right? But then I was left with a choice. As a Garifuna person, I was left with a choice. The choice was, or the choices were, I either sweep and let it be and have a greater impact or I make a big deal out of it and leave as a Garifuna fool, right? So I swept my class, I did what I had to do, and eventually I know that when I left, when I left that school, almost everybody, Creole, Hispanic, called me Namule, meaning brother, oh. right? But had I, but had I went, the, had I gone the other route to make a fool of myself, then we all know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been seen as, or as just one of those people who will, those people who come from that culture or that place, down south, that's what they do, that's how they act, that's how they behave. Adding fuel to the stereotype, if you will. Yep. Yeah. So to confirm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what was, was Garifuna spirituality part of your life growing up then? Did your family believe, you know? Um, we, I, I grew up in a, more, um, in a more religious home. My family, my siblings and I, we grew up as Baha'i. Yes, we did believe um, in the cultural rituals. We used to do the bathing, um, feasting, and we, we were not shunned from 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 participating. But over a period of time you as you get exposed to to the narrative around cultural spirituality, you you yourself start to move away from it because of what the stories are um, about Dugu, for example. There's something I always say um, when I when I ask people to define ethnicity and religion with one word. So ethnicity and religion defined in one word is culture. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Hmm. I don't know if you're doing this on purpose, Josh, but you speak in a way that I can already see the different quotes <laughs> that I can use. 
the word, the gospel according to Joshua. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So what brought you into the world of Garifuna spirituality or was it the drumming that led into that? Because that is going to be our next question, which is how you got into drumming. But I know that you started drumming at the age of five and that's always been parts of your life. So is there a... Is there a connection? Was that, two, was that two separate things happening at the same time, or was there a yeah connection? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started playing drums at the age of five because drum drumming the the music aspect of the Garifuna culture was always popular, right? So the music aspect of it, everybody wanted to be identified. Every everybody wanted everybody to know that they either knew how to play the drums or know how to sing knew how to dance the music music was always popular to say if music is the food of love then play on right <laughs> and it always seemed as if um even though god if not though itself was not popular people always doesn't matter from what culture you come from people always wanted to hear the music time went by and i started to learn about my own culture through my drums, right? My drums taught me, my drums brought me from not knowing, not wanting to be identified with Garifna Dua to, to wanting to know everything about it, right? Wow. Brought me from that point up until now, this proud Garifna drummer. That's beautiful. So how did you learn to drum? Or better... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. you you go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to ask a better question is, who taught you? Okay. So, Garifuna Duel, one of the things that's very interesting about the Garifuna culture and its spirituality and its understanding of relationships, because at the bedrock of Garifuna Duel is is relationships. The whole concept of Aobo Amadeno is one of relationships, right? Within the community itself, drums were played pretty much every day. So to pick up the rhythm, there was no problem in picking up the rhythm. As a matter of fact, almost almost every child in the community at that time knew how to play most of those rhythms. Whether we would um, play those rhythms on the side of the wall, or board houses, on the de- on, 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 on our mother's table at home, on the mm-hmm. chair, on the veranda, but do or on a on a on a, on a um, pigtail bucket, on a clean pan. <laughs> <laughs> These rhythms were played because we hear them every day, right? But um, as a drummer, as a drummer, as uh, somebody who is expressing themselves culturally, the the gift that you are given is not yours, is that of the community, mm-hmm. right? So there are drummers who used to play way back when, who still, who still find ways to express themselves through me. You were saying that it's a gift and that those who came before, the drummers who came before, express themselves through you? Yeah, so they still they still have to find ways of expressing themselves, right? Like if I, um, I'm a drummer, right? 
And if I'm the only one who knows how to play and I don't teach anybody, then there's, then there's no more drumming, right? So those people who came before taught others for a reason. It's because they want to be able to express themselves even after they are gone. Because in, um, in Garifuna, the body dies, but the spirit lives, yeah. right? So every time drum, the drums are played, every time I play, the first rhythm I would, as much as possible, play first is the hugu hugu rhythm, the semi-sacred rhythm to welcome those who were here before, to mm. be a part of this gathering of sharing. And it's a gathering of sharing because it's not just me sharing, because if they did not teach anybody, then there would be no more Garifuna drummers. So it's us that are sharing. And everything from the Garifuna culture that is taught, that is, that is brought down from the ancestors, is not necessarily for, for, for... So my drumming talent is not necessarily for me. It's for the community. Yeah. Yeah. So then would you say that yeah. it, it was a calling? I would say that it was a calling, but at, but at the same time, not everybody who is called will heed that calling, right? So I think that there are many others who have been called to do many things, but have decided not to. So I am grateful that above all, all things that I was able to still um with the help of the community, of course. Again, the, com the community, is at, community is at the foundation of everything. Why? Because we do it for them, one. And two, you cannot sustain anything without the support of the community. So there are no drummers without the support of the community. There are no healers without the support of the community. Because if you're a drummer, and the community does not support or does not need it, then there's no reason for you to do it. Fortunately, the drum is a literal heartbeat of the culture. So we need you. It's symbiotic. It's, 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 it's a two-way street. But, you know, I've been thinking about this because we, we recently, like yesterday, we interviewed our mom about Yurame, and we're going to get to that with you. And she shared how the ancestors told her how she was groomed and called, but she didn't know it at the time. She was just living her life. And it kind of made me wonder, because you got into drumming at such a young age, it was so natural. Do you think if you weren't called, you would have done it anyway? I don't know that I would have done it. Um, I think that everybody who does what they're doing is because they're pretty much called to do it, especially from the, from the cultural perspective. Because, again, there are a lot of drummers at that time who were, man, skilled, skillful drummers. But eventually life, life took its toll. Drumming is not, um, and for a long time, you can't serve, really survive from it. And if you have families, you'd have to, you'd have to find a job. Mm -hmm. And drumming would be done during your spare time. Like holiday, holiday time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, if drumming is done for holiday, then you start to lose some of the love for it, some of the mm. passion for it, and all of these things. But mm. fort fortunately for me, um, I was able to 
find that support from my family who supported me. I had that support from, from my friends and the community. And, um, and I was able to, to push through, yeah, fortunately. Yeah. Amen. I can't remember what the question was. About the trance? <laughs> oh, I was just asking because when you were saying um, that the ones that have passed, our ancestors express themselves and, and they, they teach you to drum, is it that you oweha every time that you drum or... You know, like. uh, my, my, my question pigging off of that is I wouldn't ask if it's Omaha, but do you go somewhere <laughs> when you're drawing? And you know what? I've seen you drum several times and you're, you're like a Gareth and a celebrity. So everyone has seen you drum. You are so joyful. So um, it's definitely you that's there, but also. Drumming is drumming just like, just like everything else is. As long as you have the basics of it, there are people who, okay, let me, let me put it like, not everybody who knows how to play the drum, I would consider a Garifuna drummer, right? I think, I, I think to be a Garifuna drummer, it comes with a certain level of understanding. There are a lot of young people now who are very skillful, very creative, and I, and I, and I, love, and I love watching them play. But I don't see them as, as Garifuna drummers as yet, but I see them as potential drummers. I think you, again, you have to have a certain level of knowledge and understanding of your, of the art of drumming. So I, I like to call mm. it, drumming has its art and then it has its craft, okay? Mm. So when you go to school, people like this, they, are, they say, oh, we'll do arts and craft. So for me, I see drum, I see the art of drumming as what you do. The craft of it is the knowledge of it, the knowledge based of it, right? And when you can marry the two, the art and the craft, then there's no limit as, what, as to what it is that you can do. There is no limit as to joyfulness and the, and the playfulness mm -hmm. and the place that you can go when you're playing. It's just, um, I always say, speak about drummers, the drummers go. <laughs> I don't think that it's, um, well, from my point of view, it's not, um, it's not Omeha, from my point of view, but. Um, <laughs> from your point of view, meaning that other people would say otherwise? Um, and I have heard people say otherwise that oh. that when they see me play, they see me Omeha. But hmm. I feel as if I am still present as to where I am, but just in a different state of mind, a different place, a, yeah. a place of quiet, calm, <laughs> no, just just there. That's the place where drummers go. Yeah. That's the place where <laughs> drummers go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Josh, you said that from your perspective, it's not Oeha because you keep your mind. You go to the place where drummers go, but you keep your mind. And from what 
I have heard of Omaha, it's like you're not there and you come back and it's like, why are people looking at me? Right? That's that's why you say yeah. it's not like Omaha. Yeah. So I wonder, and I need to I need to sit down with Abuye with this maybe, or just have more of these conversations. I wonder if there are levels to Omehani where you don't necessarily have to completely lose yourself. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I, I, I completely understand what you're saying because um, some people, like I said, some people would look at me and when I play and say that, that I am gone, right? But there's a certain level of, um, there's a certain level of comfort that I find in my drums when I start to play. And hence the reason why, again, when I say a drummer has to have a certain level of understanding because when I play my drum, I, I, I set my drum a certain way and I, I look for different songs and I, 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 I feel, I always say a drummer, a drummer and his drums are one and the same, right? Mm-hmm. And when you could become one with, your instrument is like it's just a place of peace yeah yeah i wonder if people say you're gone because you're just a lot more free to them a lot more uninhibited um personally when i'm on back before corona bc back when i used to be on stage well, everyone's journey is different. I'm aware of the of the woman that's walking with me. And I've yeah. never completely on stage, but I do go far away. Mm-hmm. And so I'm there, but I'm not quite there. But I would not call it Omaha either because it's, it's evolved to the point where it's the two of us. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't, I haven't shared that publicly, but, but this conversation is making me think, huh? You see, this is why we have to share our stories. This is the healing. Yep. Mm. I'm being healed. Yep. <laughs> okay, Kylie, ask the next question. Yeah, so you've drummed on stages across the world representing Garifuna and spreading our music. But have you also drummed for Garifuna Rituals? Uh, I mean, we met you as a drummer for the pilgrimage in Urame. But before we get there... What was it like drumming for Garifuna rituals in general, if you have? Um, I have. I started, um, I started playing for rituals, I think, around the age of 20, between 18 and 20, there about. I think um, the first time I played for a, for a ritual, I think I was expecting more, to feel something more. And, um, and hence the reason why I say again that to be able to play the drum and be a drummer are two different things. Because if you go to, to the ritual setting without understanding, then there will not be that much takeaway from it. Because you would just go there to play. And to to be able to write sentences does not make you a writer, right? Mm-hmm. To know vocabularies does not say that you know how to put sentences together. So all of these things, um, now when you are able to understand the vocabularies and 
put these sentences together and structure a paragraph and bring a whole story together to bring people in. Now, you are a writer, right? It's like, and I, and I think um, when I, the first time when I played for a ritual, I personally, I don't think that I was fully prepared. What would have prepared you? Or what should um, have prepared you? What should have prepared me is um, understanding about Garifuna drumming in itself um, and about hmm. the ritual. For example, I found out years later that um, there are no primeros that are played in the Dabuyaba, only segundas, right? And when I look at segundas, segundas represents, even though drums in Garifuna, if you make reference to drum, drum is masculine, right? So you would say this drum is masculine. But the segunda plays a feminine role because the segunda is the heartbeat or the pulse of every rhythm. Every rhythm in the Garifuna culture, the segunda is the heartbeat or the pulse. It plays a steady beat. Okay? Our mothers are the, are the heartbeat or the pulse of our families, our culture, and our societies. So because they have that same type of relationship, then you look at the segunda as, as more of a, plays a more feminine role, mm. right? So I did not know that there are no primeros. Um, and the reason why there were no primeros that are played, played, played in the Dabuyaba. So we only have segundas. And we have three segundas. We have one segunda that represents the past. The, the one in the middle that is called the Lanigi, means the heart um, represents the present and the other segunda represents future. So past, present, and future life represents one cycle of life, right? And while they all play in unison, the drum, the lanigi, is the one that dictates what changes will be made and when these changes will be made, right? So it's like from the past, Past are your tools that you have gathered, right, from the past. In the present is where you have all your raw materials to build and structure things for the future, mm. right? So the drum in the middle dictates what happens because it is us in the present that will determine what from the present, what from the past will be taken into the future. I'm soaking. I'm soaking it in. That also feels like a metaphor for life. Definitely. What, what from the past will be taken to the future? If you are not a drummer, you could be a pastor. Honestly, that's... <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm hearing a homily, but like... And I also like how you brought in the role of the drums because we know that drumming made you a feminist. And this, this conversation won't centralize on your TED talk, but drumming made you a feminist because you understand the role of, exactly. of women and femininity in our culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which affirms what Canon Val told us a few episodes ago, which is anything great is feminine. In mm -hmm. our language. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. Yeah. Because 
a, to good Muna, he said, right? That grandmother yes. of a house. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So anything that is big is the grandmother of. Yeah. So because the, grandmothers are great. Yes. Period. Because then, because then now you could look at it and say that while, while people saw the Garifuna culture as a patriarchal culture, you could look at it as a more, as more of a matriarchal culture. Because anything mm -hmm. great yeah. is mm -hmm. associated with, with feminine. And, mm -hmm. every, and anything that you cannot see or touch, the abstract, is also associated with feminine. Mm. So and that, so that tracks across different cultures, you know. Abstract things in different languages around the world tend to be feminine. So, so in my TED talk, I said that in the Garifuna culture, the whole concept of God is, is feminine. You can't see or touch God. Yeah. We're not going to talk about theology because we, <laughs> we could go down that road. We could. <laughs> But I will say, but I will say that that is why language is so important because if we lose Garifuna English, or at least in the Western stereotypical Catholic way, God is masculine, punto final. Pero in our culture, God is feminine, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are nuances to that. But that's another conversation for another day. So. When we went to St. Vincent and the Grenadines in August of 2017, you were one of the main drummers for the ritualistic part of that journey. That was when I met you for the first time, yeah. So you played in the church for the mass that we gave for the ancestors, and you played for the Malay on Baliso, which if you haven't heard our history episode, please, episode two, Baliso is the site where we had the near genocide between 1796 and 1797. Roughly half of us died. And, and then you also drummed on Dorsetshire Hill, which is supposedly where our leader, Chatouillet, was assassinated. So what was that whole pilgrimage like for you? That's a loaded question. That's why I start laughing. Um, the, As a drummer, because you were working but drummers work typically you guys hmm, <laughs> hmm, hmm. side question i'm so sorry side question do you like work out to condition your body for what you have to do as a drummer uh no not not for me um mm. drumming itself for me comes over a period of time comes natural some of um the more the more fun you have with it, the better you play, the better you feel, the longer you can play. Because it's not work. It's, it's, that, it's that place. The more you can go to that place. Wow. And hence the reason why I, I, am, not, I am not necessarily a big, a big fan of stage performances. I, I am more into community. Um, Involved entertainment. Feduhani, a feduhani, a feduhani. I like community, more community-involved entertainment, where it is not, um, is not, is not scripted in any way. It is, it's culture. It's culture. Mm -hmm. Let it it's be. Natural. Let it flow. Right. 
So, so when you were in your roommate doing all of the drumming, it was not work. No, for me, for me, it was not work. Um, I, you start to feel the, um, while you're playing, you're not, you're not tired. You start to feel tired when everything is done. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to feel the pain in the hands and all of these things. But as soon as you start playing again, then, then all of that goes away. And then you mm -hmm. deal with that afterwards. So even in the hot sun in Baliso? That's how it is. Yo, <laughs> yo, that sun was hot, you know. <laughs> there is a thing, there is a thing in, in, in life, in culture, that is called purpose. And everybody, everybody has a purpose that they themselves can, can identify with. What is it that um, make you do what you do? Something that is bigger, that is bigger than you. And that's, for me, that's, that's my, drumming is my purpose. <laughs> it's the reason why if anything would have taken me away from playing, I would not have done or accomplished them. I don't take my drum anywhere. My drum takes me. I only carry it. <laughs> you have to clap for that one. I have to clap. Yes, sir. That's such a beautiful perspective. What did you learn while you were in St. Vincent? Yurume um, brought me full circle and put a stamp on, on what Garifuna Do is all about for me. The oneness of all things. Yurume brought that in the forefront for me. One of the things I could clearly remember, one of the moments I could clearly remember is when we went to Greg's. And in Greg's, I could clearly see all of us when we stopped at the, at the supermarket and we bought stuff and had apples and, um, yeah, and fruit and chips and stuff. All of, yeah. all of these things. And um, we were saying that whatever you take, try your best on that. You're not to eat out of what you take. You're supposed to share what it is that you have. And that drives home for me the whole concept of Aubun Amarunu, I for you and you for me. That brotherhood, I am my brothers and my sister's keeper. When we prayed and we formed a circle, that circle was very, was like from that moment, what I felt in that circle, I made sure that every other place where we went, that we formed a circle. Because, I, because that circle, that bonding felt so powerful for me. And a few weeks ago, I think I, I, learned, I learned why or maybe what it is that I felt in the whole oneness, the whole concept of oneness. Within that circle, from any point of the circle, there is a direct uninterrupted access to the center of the circle for each and every person. So our strongest point is the fact that we could form a circle and understand that in coming together in the center is where our power is. 
is where our strength is. It's who we are as a people, it's who we are as Garifun. And I felt that bond, especially when we were in Greg's. The Mali was special for me. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first Mali that was done on the, on, on Baliso. A, on the island of Baliso in honor yeah. for, for, for our ancestors. I truly pray and hope that, um, that we were able to, to appease the spirit for ancestors, even if, it was, even if it was just for that moment until the time come, comes for us to go back, and just to be, be one with them, the past, being connected to the present, and to be able to carry that story, those stories, and those, those feeling the essence of life into the future. It's getting to that point in the interview where I feel like I might cry. <laughs> but I'm not going to, it's okay. I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. You never cry during an interview? No. No. We're not having a real conversation. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's Everything is fine. Everything is Gucci. <clears throat> but yeah, Irma was. Irma was powerful. Mm-hmm. I could remember the church when we were in the church, and when we started playing, and we came outside with the drums. We're like, oh yeah, they go, oh oh, chilanya, yeah, habrika yohara. I think that was it turned into a party and that was the that was the start of that week that was the very beginning of the pilgrimage yes I feel I felt like that really set the tone for the rest of the trip it was awesome I think that drumming in the church was healing for the spirits because they probably, there probably has not been that level of drumming and energy on mainland St. Vincent until we did that pilgrimage. And also the Vincentian onlookers who were watching us and feeling, probably not understanding what we were singing, but feeling because there are many, there are Carib communities in the north side of the island, but very likely the whole island is part Garifuna mm-hmm. and, and they don't know it or they don't want to accept it. So for the ones looking on while we were at that church and for all the different stops that we made, healing definitely happened or at least seeds were sown. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think most of all, a lot of people, a lot of us who went also um, were healed in the moment each and every because my my mom my memorable moment about saint vincent might not be yours but there is some part of it that that really did help to free help to free us from what it is that was holding us back from our true our true purpose our true purpose which is which is ourselves you also came to Trinidad for First Peoples Week, right? Yes. Was that yes. the following year? Was 
When was, I think it was it? The yes, it was. Year. It was the following was the year. Following year? It was the following year because I remember seeing Josh and being like, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> hey, how you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was twenty eighteen. Do yeah. you have an opportunity to hang out with the other indigenous peoples from Guyana, Suriname, Dominica? Um, when we did the, um, we put down food um, at the house where we stayed, and one of the healers came came over, and he was also and he also um, did um, a little prayer. And he also got some food and he put them for the ancestors. Because really, man, um, our culture, our cultures are one and the same. Um, there, is, there is nothing, there is nothing that, that is different. As a matter of fact, as people, every single culture, it doesn't matter where you are, who, who you are or, or where you come from. We all draw our sustenance from the four forces of nature, earth, wind, fire, water. Right, and that's that's just that's just a reality. Um, we're not we're not different. Again, Garifuna Duo is we're all we're all one and the same, and hence the reason why we are able to we're able to easily adapt, and we could accept things from other culture that would work for us, and use it as a part of our culture, um, whether it's utensils. Uh, lang- uh, words, whatever it is that we are able to use and be one in the same with, with, those, with those who are willing to share because we are also willing to share. What advice would you give to people searching or struggling with their spirituality? And what advice would you give to younger drummers or aspiring drummers? How do you advise somebody struggling with spirituality? Because the way I see spirituality is spirituality is, is individualistic. It's, it's me. It's you. I think a lot of time people get confused and think that they are guardians. They are people who are guardians of spirituality. Right? That we go to, we go to the church or we go to the bouye to, yeah. seek, to seek approval. And outside wisdom. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times it is difficult. Um, I, I, believe in, I believe in prayer, in action. If you were to say, um, God, please help me to be kind. Instead of saying, God, help me to be kind, just be kind. <laughs> right? So I don't need to go. You shouldn't have to go to somebody to be able to tell you what it is that you need to do to be, to be a better person for yourself. Uh, when you are the person, from the mere fact, you see that you need to go to somebody to seek advice to be a better person is because you have already identified for yourself that you are not the person that you would want to be. Um, <laughs> so um, to me, I think it's a very difficult uh, question to say, to help people with spirituality, so to speak. We asked the question because the basis of our show is that, at least for us, donkey years ago, we didn't have, we didn't know that ancestors mm-hmm. could come and drop knowledge and then leave. It wasn't part of our, mm-hmm. and, and then it was. Okay. And now we're here doing the show. Okay. 
and it was certainly a journey. Yeah. But many of us are still like, not no part of church and yeah, everybody is not the devil worship that. and you know, why my great grandpa have to run my life and <laughs> you know. I think that there's a level of um, I think <laughs> I, I think that there's a because because a lot more people are into um, religious worship. Um, we have moved away from we have moved away from culture, and again, one word to define culture, et- ethnicity and religion is culture. They're both cultures, right? We have not because you have a different way of worship that means that my way of worship is wrong. When, say for example, again. say it again. No, say it yes. again. No, I'm saying I'm saying not because I have a different way of worship. That means that my way of worship is wrong because what I do to make myself feel whole and connected to life is what I do. The way you go about doing it is totally different. And I'll give you a simple example. If there are Garifuna people in Belize and in Honduras who would do a Dugu ceremony with, where you have to kill a pig, right? You have to kill a pig and you have to do all of these things. But let's say that there's a Garifna community in, in Alaska and there are no pigs. Does that mean that they cannot be a ritual? No, that's not what it means because the ritual is just what you, the process, what you go through. Their intentions, doing it and the coming together of a community to get it done is where the essence of life is, right? Um, when you look at the Digger ceremony, for example, and when I, when, 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 I, when I get the opportunity to talk about the Digger ceremony, to paint, a, to paint a picture, I look at the Digger ceremony more from the aspect of, again, looking at the four forces of nature, right? From, where, from which we all draw our sustenance. Whenever you go to a Dugu ceremony, one of the first things that you will see is fire, right? To keep that fire burning, you have to feed that fire, right? So all I'm saying symbolically, I am giving back to that which, which gives back to me because fire, fire is a force of nature. It is, that it, it is one of that which, which you need for life. When you have that fire, that fire will create smoke. What carries the smoke is the wind. It is another force of nature. Is that which you need for life, right? There is food that will be buried as an offering to Mother Earth. There is also some of that food which will be taken and taken to be thrown into the sea as an offering to water. So you satisfy all four forces of life there. Earth, wind, fire, and water. So it's not just, for me, it's not just what people, what people see and what people want to criticize. There's a lot more, there's a lot more to, to Garifuna duo and Garifuna ritual than what, than what meets the eye. And the essence of it is far beyond what you see. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if that makes sense. It makes sense. No, it makes sense. <laughs>
is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say, Josh? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just, um, I just like converse because if you're not picking my brain, then I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not that much to say because, and when I when I when I don't come off, then I'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's always the case. That's always the case. But any message the, you want to give to Gary for the nation across the um, world? I believe that it is a time we have. It, it is our time. It is our time as Garifuna people. It is our time to come together. It is our time to find our purpose and to be able to, to stand on that purpose. It is our time to make life happen for us, all of us, on that firm footing of, of the principles of Garifna Duo. And the principles of Garifna Duo is the fact that I am my brother's and my sister's keeper, regardless of who it is that is in front of me, beside me. I am no better, but most importantly, I am no worse than anybody. I see you as I see myself. And I think that whenever we are able to come together on those principles, I think that we have strength and we will find our place within that circle and know that whenever that time comes, we could all end up in the middle of the circle together or we could all choose who will be the captain at any point within the conversation or the journey. Whatever, whatever it is that, that needs to happen, because again, I see my brothers and my sisters as I see myself, and I trust me, which means that I will always trust you. Do you think you can answer what it means to be Garifuna in a minute or less? What it means to be Garifuna is a, I, like I mentioned earlier, what it means to be Garifuna for me is a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose, a sense of pride, a sense of one knowing his or her place within that circle and to trust the fact that I am not alone. I'm not alone. Um, my hands are being held um, from both ends, from those in the past and from those in the future. I, all, all I'm doing is rocking the boat, but all my inspirations are drawn from those that were and those that are to come. Yes, yes, yes. Josh, thank you so much for speaking with us. Nothing. You've been listening to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality with me, Kylie Simone, and my sister, Feroza Cayetano, featuring our guest, Joshua Arano. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to on. You can follow us on Instagram at Garifuna Sisters Podcast, and you can email us at garifunasisters at gmail.com. This is an ongoing conversation, so feel free to send us any questions or comments through the Anchor app or dropping us a message through our email or social media. Until next time. Bye.
Bonjour, au revoir.